1: Looking to get out of the ads and back to the story? Fable & Folly Plus is a new way to support the creators you love. The podcast you're listening to right now and more than 60 others can be heard ad-free for as little as $4 a month by visiting fableandfolly.com slash plus. And now you'll start to see Fable & Folly Network shows are offering bonus content to all existing and new supporters. Find exclusive new episodes from shows like Where the Stars Fell, the Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program, and Civilized. Plus, early access to new episodes of Midnight Burger. All still entirely ad-free. The Fable and Folly Network supports creators of exceptional audio stories, including the one you're listening to right now. If you love our shows, we want to hear from you. Complete our listener survey at fableandfolly.com survey.
2: Welcome back to the grim darkness of the 41st millennium. I am Inquisitor Temperance Price, Keeper of the Inquisition's Black Library, and this is the second volume in a report on the Valentine Heresy, an actual play podcast set in the Genesis adaptation of Warhammer 40K's Dark Heresy RPG. This report features Game Master Ryan Laplante and players Tom McGee, Laura Elizabeth, Tyler Hewitt, and Del Borovic. My report shows that Inquisitor Valentine achieved his mission to kill Glasgow Vicodin and took over the strategic network of Inquisitor Barthus Billingberg alongside Atticus. Having identified a threat across the galaxy, they have been forced to dispatch a new team to deal with the problem. Can this inquisitorial strike force stop the machinations of Fabius Vile? Find out next in this episode of The Valentine Heresy.
0: from a stolen recording of Fabius Bile. The day will come, my dear, when your children's children stride the galactic rim as the kings and queens of all they survey. But first you, we, must teach them how to survive until that moment. In your generation, there were 500. Of them, I kept only you and your closest siblings. The rest are scattered across the galaxy, Burrowing into the flesh of a dying empire So that they may best guide it To its well-deserved and long-overdue grave They and their children Carry my teachings into the dark Generation upon generation Their strength breeding true As mankind dies So it nurtures its own replacement All unknowing The four of you are resting inside hypnocasks on your journey to your next mission. Hypnocasks are the 40K equivalent of like a stasis chamber that can implant new information matrix style into your brain uh, in uncomfortable, painful, and occasionally subtly damaging ways. However, to catch people up on new and important information, especially if that information is worth the risk of mild brain damage, hypnocasks are a very useful tool. The lesson you are all being imparted upon is how to study an imperial world, how to break it down and and figure out the pieces that you need to identify to hunt for the things that you're looking for within it, to find your targets, and to find other necessary lessons. It is using a metaphor, which is, there are five gems in the crown of any imperial world. The first is the Adeptus Administratum. The second is the Planetary Defense Force. The third is the Adeptus Ministorum, or the Ecclesiarchy. The fourth is the Adeptus Mechanicus. And the fifth is the Adeptus Mercantile. These are the five organizations that bring life to an Imperial world and the ones that are the most easily infiltrated or broken down from within should you be looking for infiltration. Until a massive interrupt appears inside your minds uh, in flashing red lights, and you receive an update on the mission upon which you are being sent. It opens a redacted file, which all of you experience almost as a, a film kind of clockwork orange being blasted into your minds about Fabius Bile and the threat of Homo novus. For the first several minutes, you hear the words, Fabius Bile is, and then the words, redacted, 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 which stings a little bit every time it enters into your mind. Uh, Occasional words that take you back to the era of the Horus Heresy, all of which you would know a little bit about solely due to the betrayers of humanity. You wouldn't be able to contextualize it necessarily, but you would hear... The year 30,000, the March on Terra, all of these words appearing between those jarring screeches of the word redacted inside your minds until the information begins to grow wider. And you learn that Fabius Bile is the redacted of the redacted legion, declared heretic extremist Diabolus, someone to be destroyed on site, a former space marine who has started a new plan for a new galaxy for a new humanity, all of which is designed to be built on the corpse of the Imperium that has been created today. The deadliest threat he has created are known colloquially as the new men, though they are of both genders, uh, technically deemed homo novus, genetically enhanced sociopathic chaos-driven killing machines who are designed to abandon the gods, abandon hope, kill the emperor, but be so hardy and such apex predators of the galaxy that they can spread humanity beyond this dying age of the fall of chaos, the splitting of the galaxy, the return of the Primarchs, and build a new stage on the corpse of the old. However, Homo Novus is not just a threat within the Eye of Terror or where bile travels throughout the galaxy. Homo novus is more insidious than the majority of chaos threats. Individual members of Bile's new men have been inserted into Imperial society. No one knows how often, no one knows how many, and no one knows where. But the one thing that is assured is they will be rising to the top of wherever they appear, and they will be claiming those worlds and perverting the Imperium's machinations towards their own destructive, evil, chaos-tainted ends. As this lesson wraps up the first hypno to open is that of dell i will let you introduce your character as you step out of the cast so you can give us an idea of just name background a little bit of that
3: okay my character her name is sister olean nina and she is was was a member of the adeptus sororitas um the order of the holy word which means that she was a paper pusher. She did a lot of book work, stuff like that. Um, but she also likes fighting, but she did not get picked to be a battle sister. She went to an order that was non-militant. Um, should I describe what she looks like?
0: <laughs> uh, no, we'll come back to that. That was Great. all I needed just to give people a little bit of flavor. So the Hypocask opens, uh, cracks open from within, and you are go- You go from ice cold to burning hot is just flashes of hot water kind of spray over you in a very crude technological attempt to warm you as you exit what would otherwise be a deeply frozen slumber. You stagger out. Uh, There is the lexicanum of your ship, whose name is Abacus Flint, who is a a hunched elderly man with a couple of uh, augmetic implants, more just to help him function than not. Awaiting with a towel that he offers you from his kind of hunched robes, he has two uh, bionic eyes that zoom in intensely. They they actually zoom out of his skull as he makes sure that no part of your body is injured. About six inches, too, almost like I like think he would be examining a fine gem. Uh, <laughs> However, he's just making sure you're not burnt or anything. He's not like a weird pervert. Uh, And there's a servitor, a medical servitor as well, running tests. Uh, And your clothes are there so you can kind of dress yourself. And Abacus doesn't even say anything. He just gives you a nod and leaves. He doesn't do medical stuff. He's aware that you are the medical member of this team. So he leaves you to deal with the other casks. Uh, The next one to open is that of Nero Abignale. if I said that right. You did. You did indeed. So that cask has the same thing. Nero, you're sprayed with kind of hot water to get rid of the flush of the the cold goo that had been inside you. Uh, And Sister Olean Mira comes over to help you. And for the first time, you see each other, so you can describe your appearances to each other.
3: Well, she would definitely wait first and towel off and then put clothes on before going over to the next one. But, um, so...
0: I would say you've all, you've all like had to share like a locker room. So it's, there's no like sexualization to anyone's nudity coming out of these casks. It's very functional gym locker room-ish. Which
4: is good because Nero definitely does not rush, uh, to, to get dressed. Um, as the, the water hoses him down, um, he sort of sits up and runs, uh, hands back through his kind of like goo slicked hair. Um, and, uh, He's got one of those kind of brands of handsome where even like covered in goo, running his hands back through his hair, like he just looks majestic somehow, um, in a way that he's unaware of, but that is just kind of a, a weird, effortless um mistake. And um, I'll just like spit a mouthful of goo off the side uh, of, of my uh cask um, and just kind of sit there with my head in my hands, um, just kind of muttering to myself as uh as the hoses hit me and like if abacus comes back just kind of like taking the towel and dumping it on the floor next to me and just like having a real a real think uh as i kind of mutter um into my hands
3: Well, mina will pick up the towel and and basically walk it back over to you and and sort of like push it into your face and be like come on sir we have plenty of work to get done
4: um, and I'll I'll take it almost as though it's the first time I've been aware that it's there. Um, and I'll just kind of like give you a, a very frank look to say, uh, oh, uh well, thank you. Thank you very much. That's that's very kind of you. Thanks. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. Appreciate you a lot. Thanks. And I'll just like actually like mop up a bit and suddenly kind of like start to realize kind of like, oh, I'm naked in goo.
0: Um, and uh I'll um I the think servitor I'm, will trundle over and have your clothes and gear kind of in hand. Uh and I'll, I'll, the, the ship is prepared. This is new. It was like formal ceremony, not so much, but quick delivery. Yes. Yeah,
4: I'll give the servitor like kind of a questioning look, um, and then uh, I'll I'll lean over to you, and say, uh, "Hey, uh, do we do we trust this guy?"
3: She looks over and then back, and she's like, "Of course, our requisitioned Imperium soldiers are of course going to be trustworthy for us." And if yeah. and if they act otherwise, then there's only one thing for us to do. But until then, please continue getting ready. Obviously, yeah. there are plenty of things wrong right now.
4: All right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. That's good. Uh, I appreciate you adding that extra part about you know if, if things don't don't go well. That that's a huge weight off my mind. Uh, yeah. I'll I'll put some pants on. Thank you. You've been you've been a huge help, um,
0: sister. You yeah, needn't
3: have any worry. I will protect you as I always have. Mm. And then she moves on to the next bed.
0: <laughs> there are so this room, the the hypnocask chamber has 20 hypnocasks, uh two lines of 10 on either side of the room with a grate in the middle and a bench upon which people can sit or prepare themselves after they're sprayed clean of their various goos. The servitor is almost entirely robotic from head to toe. You're looking at crude piston legs, arms that are little more than uh, the lifter suit that, Uh, Ripley wears at the end of Alien. It's those Mm -hmm. kind of arms just holding a tray with clothing on it. And the face is a human face stapled onto a metallic square skull with a a speaker for the mouth inside where the lips have been sewn to it and just two glowing red eyes. Uh, As it goes to claim the next set of clothing to bring over on a tray, it just goes, (laughs) all you hear is, you know it's binary because you've all heard the Adeptus Mechanicus talk before, but it is completely unintelligible to human ears. Two more casks open, revealing the last two members of this inquisitorial band. Uh, Seth and Piper, how do you react to all of this? Kind of, you're getting flashed with the red heat. You've had a thousand redacted facts shoved into your brain, which is negative space intellectually. uh, And you're coming out of a strong physical discomfort. Uh, Seth
5: uh, evacuates an empty stomach just bile kind of coming up and out uh, and uh, and and we'll just uh, say uh, Ugh, emperor's bulls what the hell was that and he'll slip in his own bile and fall on his
0: ass <laughs> So what does he look like if we were to pick our like celebrity comparisons kind of thing
5: uh, he looks like um a mix between Michael Bane and Richard Brake, both like right now, not like classic looks for either one of them. Richard Brake might be a bit of a deep cut, but if you think back to um, Batman Begins, he's Joe Chill. Uh, Mm. He's that that guy who's in the the courtroom scene and he gets uh, shot shortly after. So he's got like very kind of like severe features, sharp cheekbones, that kind of thing, very gaunt looking. Um, And he has uh, bionic eyes that have been more kind of crudely than sophisticatedly uh, uh, put into his skull. So he has no eyelids. The skin is just puckered around these kind of two large black uh, uh, curved lenses where his eyes should be. So it kind of looks like he's constantly surprised or angry because of the puckering. It looks like eyebrows, but it's not. It's just where the lenses end
0: and his skull begins. Piper, your cask is opened... Seth has just said emperor's balls. What was that? You were the first to respond as you step out of your cask.
6: Mm-hmm. Um I think all, all she does is kind of like give a little, like kind of shake herself off and kind of like look around and, and it's just like that was disturbingly like home. Oh well. Hello
3: hello, and good morning. And Olean will go to the servitor, get more of the towels, give one to Seth, give one to Piper, and start cleaning up the vomit with one.
5: (laughs) Yes, get that, will you? I know, just like rise up and like try to towel off. Like, where are my things?
0: Uh, You just see the servitor spin around, roll over, pick up a tray, roll back. And for Seth... It just dumps it on the floor like it doesn't offer it to him because he's still kind of low so it just drops the tray for him and then turns around and rolls back to get uh Piper and I'll come up toweling off my hair and just be like uh
4: oh hey uh you're looking for your stuff right yeah I, I think I found it I think it's it's that pile right there there you go champ and I'll just slap him on the back
5: and keep walking it's a bit of a, <laughs> like a little bit more bile comes out with the slap <laughs> on the back wipes it off with the back of his hand uh not appreciative of the servitor or uh, the pat on the back at all, really surly, and he just kind of starts to scoop up his, his things.
0: The cask closest to where the servitor is collecting gear, one that seems to be almost smaller and somewhat cheaper, as though it had been bolted into this facility at the last moment, opens as well, and another figure staggers out. Instead of vomiting, you get the same feelings and the same physical reaction that you would expect from that, only you're seeing bile come out of this character's nose. Uh, you recognize this as Warden, uh, a heavily cybernetically enhanced man with a metallic torso that his arms are coming off of to the point where his torso to his his kind of stomach down to his thighs is has all been replaced with some kind of... Advanced, not super advanced, but quite effective and high-quality augmetic, which also rises up covering his neck. And there is a visor, like a mouthpiece, bolted over his mouth. So he cannot speak. It is built into his skull. Uh, Unlike the rest of you, he staggers to his feet almost immediately, uh, cleans himself off, and is showing a great deal of modesty, strapping himself into a high-collared black coat, a la Neo in the Matrix-style coat. Uh, arming himself with gear and you see him take out a, a hell pistol off of the tray. And it has the trailing cord that you would expect normally plugs into a backpack. You're all used to this, even though it's a little bit unsettling, he takes that cord and plugs it in under his armpit into his own torso and his weapon powers. At that point, he steps behind Piper and just stands there watching her. You've all had to deal with warden before he's been a constant part of your party since Piper appeared. Warden is, as Warden is named, Warden's purpose is to protect Piper from outside threats, as Piper is an astropath. And should Piper absorb a demon or begin doing anything heretical, Warden's purpose is to shoot Piper in the head, a Warden of everyone else and a Warden of her. You all strap into your gear, you're getting yourselves into kind of what your regular day-to-day kind of combaty, you're all Inquisitor people gear is... Uh, and find yourself standing there. What does everybody look like now that you're dressed? Well, how do you normally dress? What are your chosen? I
6: actually didn't weapons? describe myself. I realized.
0: No, let's do that too. Yeah, and I think I'd love Sister Mina. We didn't get a ton of physical appearance on, so.
6: Um. So yeah, Piper is like, like in her 40s. Uh, so she's a woman. She's like pretty short, like kind of like five feet tall. Um, and is kind of like is super pale. It just has a very soft look about her. Like she probably hasn't done a lot of movement in general, much of her life. Um, She has like basically like frosted white eyes um, and kind of like a gray blonde hair that like sweeps back kind of a shortcut. Um, She also has a bionic leg and she wears like a a black carapace uh, chest plate all the time. And it kind of has a feeling of like, um, if you know the nightingale armor from Skyrim at all, it's just kind of like black and kind of nicely, nicely fitted and a little bit regal looking. Okay. That's her vibe. Nice. That's Piper.
0: Yeah. And warden over her shoulder, blonde, slick back hair. Think a little bit, uh, John Hamm and baby driver ish, uh, but the spooky 40k version of that with a sword at his hip uh, and the hell pistol almost constantly in his hand. In his hand? Damn. Oh, he's a looming,
5: threatening presence. Yeah. Yeah, okay, right on. Um, Seth, after scooping his gear up and kind of putting on his pants and his boots and all that stuff, um, he's basically got uh, ceramite armor. Um, Let me make sure I've got that right. I believe I do. Uh, No, uh, enforcer light carapace, uh, but he has... um, he has plates kind of inserted over like the breasts as well. The the two like plates inserted over it. Um, And um, so it's, it's fairly like standard issue, but a little like nicer uh, standard issue. Like it doesn't look like it's seen much combat. Uh, And over that he wears a, um, uh, uh, what was clearly once a very nice coat, um, like way above kind of like any soldiers station. Uh, It's, Honestly, it's not dissimilar to that big fucking coat that Vin Diesel wore in Triple X for like forty percent of that movie. Nice. Uh, it's just a it's just a coat that's big enough that it can fit actually over his armor. So it kind of gives him the illusion of having like a somewhat intimidating frame. He's not physically intimidating, um, and uh, uh, he wears the coat kind of open so that a bit of the armor plating is is showing. Um,
3: <clears throat> and then is the the face fe- facial features I was thinking is that kind of severe like Michelle Rodriguez Rodriguez from Resident Evil. But she's mm. but she's overall just like a bigger lady. She's very solid looking. She's 5'10, and but she's only 24. But wow. and she has red hair, but halfway down it's white because the sisters like bleach their hair white for religious reasons, but because she's been hanging out with you guys, she hasn't been able to do that. So she has like uber roots. (laughs) And um, when she puts on her clothes, she has like pristine white and gold everything. So she's got a long dress that covers everything. She has a big chest plate, a carapace chest plate that is all gold and and silver and inlaid. And she has just like inquisitorial and um, ecclesiarchy symbols all over it. So she's got like things hanging off and she's got belt with all of like her, her bling and everything. So she looks very like you look at her and she looks like a, an inquisition sister, basically.
4: Right on. Inquisitor. Nice. Um, and uh, yeah. So for, for Nero, um, think uh, Leonardo DiCaprio uh in uh Django, uh, so whether it's from the meme or elsewhere, but like that little mustache, the little beard, the kind of like longer blonde hair that is equally messy and somehow kempt um at all times. Uh but more importantly, uh that Leo, if he kind of hadn't slept in a while. Um, so you know, um, rings under his eyes, um, Nero kind of almost constantly has a bit of an incredulous squint going on. Uh Ala leo in inception <laughs> um where there's just always a little bit of uh, of uh, a sense of like he's clearly trying to suss things out at all times um he's wearing a a long coat uh think uh, star lord's longer jacket um but if it was in a dark gray so very very much not trying to stand out uh you can mm-hmm. tell from the cut it's actually like a very he almost says the uh inverse to um uh, to Seth's outfit in that this was clearly a very nice coat that has been dulled. Um, so, you know, very fine. There's embroidery and stuff that has clearly just been dyed a dark, dark, dark gray. Um, and uh, perhaps most notably, uh, he's got a, a bolter slung over his shoulder um, loose enough that if he had to, he could just swing it around in praying spray, which with a bolter is uh, never, never a great situation if you're on the, the other end of it. Um, but, uh, yeah, for, for all of his kind of, uh, caginess, there is, there was no doubt what message that gun is meant to send. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, so he'll like, you know, pull on, pull on gloves and just be kind of, uh, eyeing everyone and also the, the hypnocasks with, with great interest.
0: The hypnocask room attaches to a briefing room within the ship that you're in. Your ship is known as the Emperor's Hand, is the name of the ship. Uh, You've been with this ship for a while. It is the first inquisitorial ship that you have all been engaged with. It has gone under a variety of different identities from the outside. It can appear to be a freighter. It can appear to be a warship or an escort ship. There are pieces that can kind of be taken off and put into the hold, There is a small crew of servers that can do that on land as required to allow yourselves to kind of insert into any other portion of society you would need under various covers. As you tromp through the room, you're all tired as though you had just left a war zone because, in fact, for you, you have. You, as a team of four, have carried out four major missions for the Inquisitor Barthas Billingberg. And the moment a mission ends, you go back into the HypnoCasks so for you, the months or weeks of travel between worlds don't exist. You've gone from mission to mission to mission to mission to here. You don't know where you're going in between. You're fed the information that will be the most useful or viable to you in the hypnocasks, And then you have however long your mission and your objectives take. There are four members of this team, and you have done four missions. I would love to hear from each of you about one mission where you played a critical role in achieving the team's overall goals? Uh,
5: Seth uh, um, was a a key component um, in a mission to basically uh, infiltrate and dismantle a cult um, wherein he basically um, impersonated a cultist um, and actually rose up through the ranks that he could get close to the cult leader um report on him uh to the rest of his team and basically organized uh a joint jointly executed assassination on him and uh and and thus uh the cult was uh quickly wiped out after
0: losing any kind of like uh, um, hierarchy. great. so they would have been the cavalry to Seth's infiltration of this, but all yeah. four of you closely interlinked through all of these missions
4: yeah. For Nero, um, he actually led uh, an operation on his home planet, um, which is uh, he was remarkably on on side with. But you know, as, as an up um, and coming uh, and person trying to still earn his stripes in the Inquisition, uh, he was uh, he was thrilled uh, to get to run this op. Uh, but basically, it involved um, a uh, a cavil of highly ambitious. Um, ruthless uh, children of imperial uh, bureaucrats and um, not quite Lords of Terror, but like in the ballpark. So high-ranking government officials uh, back on the planet Traven, and uh, essentially uh, revisiting his old prep school um, that he's graduated from some time ago uh, in uh, Operation uh, Ventus Jump Avenue, um, where he um, returned to his, his preparatory school um, seemingly, as as you know a speaker of, of some note, he managed to kind of get the rest of you in as like here here are other options for you and like here's the kind of people you can use but um, secretly knowing that uh, his mission was to take these uh, these young students hostage uh, and and kind of uh, help Billingberg um, and uh, the inquisition to negotiate uh, negotiate in big air quotes with uh, these these nobles, um, however, uh, the operation was a resounding success. Uh, and despite having to like, uh, you know, cause a lot of chaos and damage, uh, to his home planet in the prestigious academy that he himself graduated from. Um, he was left feeling a, a little off and he's, he's been, um, you found that despite kind of the bravado he went in with, um, he hasn't seemed quite right since. Um, and as Ryan pointed out, like retired, cause we've been going kind of combat to combat to combat, but there seems to be an extra layer on Nero of fatigue and uh, the the confidence that you're kind of used to has become cagier and cagier with each successive mission. Uh, I feel like with the cult mission, he was like much less than useful. Like theoretically he should have been infiltrating with you, but there just, he wasn't, wasn't quite there. So he kind of ended up taking a back seat and not being as, as effective as, uh, as you've all kind of come to expect. So uh, yes, that was, that was his, his big claim to fame was he, beat up a bunch of his friends kids and uh destroyed his planet's reputation in the eyes of the imperium uh, but at what cost at what cost oh, nero um nero i think is in his late 20s um so he's uh, he's well on the fast track to uh to becoming a full full fledged inquisitor um but uh is still kind of out here doing these missions and very much one of those like Again, take the prep school thing one step further. Very much one of those people you would assume is on track to Supreme Court eventually, where it's like, just keep doing your job, and eventually you'll get the golden cookie because that's where you're from. Um, So, yeah, there's no like, I got to prove myself. It's just like, oh, yeah, I got to do a good job because, you know, when I made Inquisitor, they're going to want to be able to look back and look at all the cool things I did and that we all did, but that I did. So, you know, we got to make sure we're doing those. We got to do a good job.
3: I, I think I have. One. <laughs> so, Olean helped in one of their missions where they went investigating, thinking that there was some kind of like underground uh, like murderer g- going on that they had to investigate. That was basically killing officials and higher up people, and that they chased down all these leads to figure out what exactly was going on. And it turned out that underneath in the basement of a building, that someone had adopted a tyrannid. And and kept it as a baby, like like in a in a bathroom type thing that had gone haywire and started tearing up the place. So they had a space alien in the basement, in the underground of this city that was running around. Oh my god! So <laughs> so then so then basically, what happened was that Olien helped a lot because her weapon is a gigantic power shield and a mm. sword, and she was able to catch it in a hallway and keep it there while everyone else set charges. And then they blew him up and, and collapsed all the underground and managed to kill it.
4: It's the uh, alternate ending to season two, of the Mandalorian actually when Grogu <laughs> just starts ripping people's throats out, yeah. you know, there's no options left. We can't keep those. We're going to sell so much merch, never feed a Tyranid after midnight. Like this is really a valuable lesson. Those Tyranids grow up people and not pets. <laughs> uh, for the record, I think Nero had a fantastic time on that mission. Like that's just right up his alley. Fantastic! What a great, what a great situation, you know.
3: So cut and dry. I think, Absolutely, I great think, uh, chance to prove ourselves. It's probably a bummer for Seth because he wanted it to be espionage related or like an actual person.
5: Yet yeah, Seth has not had a good time in a good while. <laughs> I don't think you've ever seen him smile earnestly. <laughs> Yeah. Nero's one disappointment
4: was that he was convinced he figured out who the murderer was and he was setting up like a full Poirot style reveal. Uh, He had a sitting room ready and then (laughs) he got word that it was a tyranny. He's like, oh, I mean, that's a great twist. quietly folded up like it was the ant and just like stuffed it back. (laughs) It says
5: Seth underlined.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he always has that one. And then what other suspects? But Seth is always a viable option in in his mind.
0: Um, No one ever uh, expects the toilet stealer, you know? (laughs) All right, Piper.
6: Oh, yeah. Um, So uh, we definitely had, um, you know, we're like, chasing some like Bush league heretic, right? Like
4: mm-hmm.
6: s- small should have been like something like, like a very- hedge heretic, <laughs> like a hedge heretic. Exactly. Um, and, and we just like got bad intel and we got ambushed. So, but the nice thing about, uh, Piper is that like, you know, we're like, so we're in our, this is literally like space ambush. Okay. um, and the nice thing is that like I can just like if I really really want to I can implant images and various words in the minds of people within even within orbital range. So, took a lot of effort, but I managed to convince The three heretic, the captains of the three heretic ships, you know, as much as there can be captains of heretics, (laughs) um, that essentially they were each other's enemies and they were all betraying each other and were all siding with us and got them to essentially destroy each other.
5: And Amazing. Nice. So, fuck yeah which is really fun for me because
6: I was stuck on a relay station for so long and like didn't get to do like jack shit.
0: (laughs) So this is the history of your party leading up to this adventure. You all have specialties that you are all aware of. Seth is a master of everything scummy. He knows the dirt of the dark. He knows the dirt. He knows shitty people and he knows how to manipulate his way around the world. Piper is a, a font of enthusiasm and a sanctioned astropath. Uh, She's in her late thirties, early forties. Early forties. Early forties. Think Ashley Uh, Jensen. uh, Without the wear and tear that you would expect on an astropath of that. She has the energy you would expect to see from like an 18 to 22 year old astropath where they still believe in the bright future and have not yet been worn down by being essentially one of those pressurized tubes of the Imperial messaging system. (laughs) Uh, and Warden is alongside her, and she actually seems all right with Warden. Warden's clearly younger, probably about a decade younger, uh, and a fair bit harder looking. Probably not her first Warden. And if things go well, possibly not her last. Uh, but Warden has been a silent force. Warden follows Piper around on the missions and will help the rest of the team in combat situations, but tends not, like, it takes a lot to convince Warden that he needs to go on a combat mission if Piper is not there. He's much more comfortable bodyguarding Piper. Actually, why he hasn't been a suspect in many
4: cases uh, of mine, because normally the butler did it, so this has always been a theory
0: of Nero's, but if he's not there, it's very hard. Perfect. Uh, Sister Mina is your close-up bruiser. Sister Mina is the unstoppable object that has stopped many unstoppable forces. There's just no way to get past her storm shield (laughs) weapon combos. Very nasty up close. Uh, And then there's Nero the interrogator, who is the highest ranking of any of you, the one on the path to become an Inquisitor, and maybe not the most stable, as Tom has made clear. However, you're all ready to carry him across the finish line as necessary or let him lead you on the good days.
1: Thanks for supporting the Fable and Folly Network. Here's another show we know you'll love. I got this really strange email last night.
3: I never sent you
6: an email.
1: I don't even know you.
0: And why exactly are you here? The map is the reason we're here.
6: Maps help when you're lost.
1: Do you know what a trap street is? Trap streets aren't real. They don't exist. Don't trust anyone unless they give you a reason to trust them. I I think he's dead.
6: How could so much damage happen to a human
1: body in such a short period of time? What the hell is going on here? From the creators of Strange Air, this is Trap Street. So maps can have secrets. Yes, maps can have secrets.
5: Follow and hear new episodes of Trap Street anywhere you listen to podcasts.
4: All right, Space Marine. That's right, it's me, one of the biggest, toughest orcs in the biggest, toughest war in the galaxy. If you think that you and all your other beaky boys are going to come in here and fight us all for the Imperium or whatever, then you're going to need a hell of a lot of help. And you're going to need it from patreon.com slash dumdumdice. I hear for just one of your Imperium dollars, you can join a Patreon-only Discord and talk all about your Imperium nonsense with other fans. Or you can add names to the shows. You can even add characters. We don't need any characters here in the wall. We got plenty. But if you want to add one, you can for only $25. Of course, to do that, you're going to need to rev up that chainsaw, aren't you, Marine? Oh, wait. No, don't do not do it. No, no, don't do it. Oh, wow. it's charged up by the power of patreon.com slash dice! That's D-U-M-B-D-U-M-B-D-I-C-E. Curse you, Spice Marine!
0: You enter the briefing room. There are four tables around, or four chairs around. Well, I mean, it'd be weird if you had your own table. Four chairs around a circular <laughs> central table at the center of which there is a projector, And standing mm-hmm. at a lectern at the front of it is, well, let me confirm that name, Abacus Flint. Again, this is the lexicanum. So Abacus Flint is an old man uh, who is allergic to the fluid that you have to engage with to be able to use a hypnocask. So Abacus mm. can never enter the hypnocasks. He always is alive on the ship interpreting messages, and he's the one who programs the lessons and the messages that are being sent to you within the casks, which is why you could be learning about how to, you know, figure out how to find things on a world, and randomly a thing comes in that just yells the word Fabius Bile because he got a priority order to deal with that. He is also an analyst. There are going to be times where you might need to study something over a longer term, and you might not be able to do that while on a mission, you can send Abacus a message and Abacus can look into details of the inquisitorial libraries or other things that cool. might take days that you might not have the time to do right now. It is clear. This is your standard briefing at the beginning of a mission. So you can all come in and take your seats. He hits a button trying to bring up a holo projector and it doesn't work. It sputters twice because everything in the Imperium, Forty even K. when it's really good, <laughs> kind of sucks. So he punches the table with his old man hand and it, judders into life Uh, and it shows you the system that you are within Uh, it is the artis system uh, which is labeled which we're going to use a variety of languages that are not english they will all be representative of what i'm going to call high gothic i'm cheating in 40k there are two languages there's high gothic and low gothic high gothic is spoken by fancy people and low gothic is spoken by everyone else They've kind of abandoned it in the novel. So I'm just going to say that low gothic is what everybody speaks. And high gothic is when people give me Latin names from Patreon that I can then translate because you would know. (laughs) Um, So the artiste system is a trade system. There is a lot of value in this. You can see it has four worlds and an asteroid belt. You can actually track your own ship, the emperor's hand, as it's closing in towards the center. What you're seeing, which is surprising, is all of the worlds of the system are currently aligned. Uh, from what you can see, it appears that they are actually as close to in a line as they could possibly be extending out mm. from the sun. You can all pick up your different slates that you have kind of attached to your, your seats and see a breakdown of the system itself. So the RT system, every system in the Imperium has its own purposes and its own tithes. And the RT system is founded by Prometheum which is the fuel Mm. used by the Imperial Guard tanks. It's used by ship uh, harvesting combines. It's used by farms. It's used by everything except basically ships because you need some real power and just you don't run a ship off a diesel fuel. Uh, However, the RT system is slowly dying. You can see based on the reports of the four worlds, the furthest from the sun known as Escalon is essentially an abandoned hive world. The population in the majority of cases have left Uh, Production has been shut down. There is no space traffic. There's nothing. It's been abandoned. The next world in, known as Geminella, is a slowly dying hive world. It's closing in on the end. Its Prometheum reserves have been exhausted. It is currently being strip mined for spare parts. You can see this in your reports, which are a lot more explicit than anything that would be available to the majority of citizens in this system. Within a generation or two, Geminella will fall to the same fate as Escalon. The next world in towards the sun is Falscher Frieden, which translates the name to false peace. Falscher Frieden is heavily industrialized. It still has strong Promethean reserves. However, there are only about 10 or so generations left before those Prometheum reserves run out. The ability of the systems put in place there to pump it out are incredible. And it is currently under a cold war between three different guild Mm. houses all trying to maintain control of production which leads to the closest planet to the sun, Inanus Umbra, uh, which is the capital world. If you scroll through the history with your fingers, you can actually see each of these worlds has been the capital world at some point, but when the Prometheum runs out, they just shift another world in, terraform it extensively, Mm -hmm. and then pump it for resources. Um, The system is highly valuable because of the Prometheum that's there, but even on Inanus Umbra, within 30 generations, this whole place will be a barren rock if they were smarter, they might be looking at ways to get out of the system, but it's clear with the guild controls and battles going on, they're just riding this one to the bottom and trying to have the nicest seat on the Titanic. You are headed for Inanus Umbra, which is the closest to the sun, and is currently the biggest city and kind of only city on Ananas Umbra. It is known as the Dominion Omnian Proto-Hive. It is the mm-hmm. current capital city, uh, and it is a hive-to-be. The first layer has been built as the world is being terraformed, a process that's almost complete, and that is where you are headed. At which point, having taken in this information, Abacus coughs gently, excuse me, all right, it's time for me to tell you what's come through. First, we have a message from the Inquisitor, which surprises all of you, because none of you have ever received any audio or video message from Barthas Billingberg. You've all been hired in absentia and sent on missions, never having heard from him directly or never having seen him. But this first time for everything, you've all done very well on your missions. Maybe this is a treat. A voice comes on and a generic green face appears with its mouth opening and closing, but no actual image of the man. You feel like it's that default screen on, you know, the old MSN messenger. (laughs) Hello, friends. This is Inquisitor Barthus Billingberg. It's a pleasure to speak with you directly, and it's time for me to relay the mission. We've had more time since you've been in your cask. Surely you know everything about Fabius Bile and all of the redacted, redacted, redacted. I trust you've got the clearance for it. If you don't, I was assured it would take care of itself. So here's the problem, or I guess the opportunity, one could call it. Uh, There is a little bit of a threat going on in this system that I'm going to need you to deal with in the name of the throne. So it turns out, inside the Dominion Omnion Protohive, they're currently choosing a new planetary governor, which is uh, great for the system because the current one appears to be incompetent, though the tides have worked. Uh, and they're doing this because there is some sort of alignment of planets that allows for a voluntary uh, exchange of power. However... Slight uh, hiccup in this. It turns out Fabius Bile, who you know, redacted, 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 is dealing with homo novus. It appears from information that we've received that there is some sort of new man or new woman who is in the running to try to take over this governorship position. Should they do so, as you know, this is a prometheum heavy system, it could lead to the failure of local crusades, the starving of Imperial Guard regiments, uh, general chaos. Also, it would leave one of these homo novus having all of the, one could say, incredibly valuable military and financial might of a core system under their control, which is not what the emperor wants. So what I need you to do is to go, figure out who this homo nervous is, uh, and then eliminate them in the name of the golden throne. Uh, who's who's in charge of this team again? Who is it? It's uh, uh, Nero, Nero, yes. Uh, do a good job, I believe in you. Uh, if you have any problems, uh, Don't. I'm very far away and I don't have the ability to help you. So you've got a lot more than I ever did on any of my missions. Do good. Uh, Praise the Emperor. Goodbye, I guess. Goodbye. Um, And (laughs) Nero will just,
4: again, like, run his hands back through his hair, somehow greasy, but also perfectly quaffed, um, and just uh, mutter kind of to you, but also not to all of you, like, but why now? Why why this one? Why would he only reach out now okay this isn't this isn't great um uh, we we will sir sir oh, and they'll just like do that like wave his hand in front of the the hologram and i guess he will turn to um i feel like so far i think we've established these kind of closest with uh sister venus so he'll just turn to her and be like i i never know if these things can see us or not i, I always think it's best to just you know assume they can until you you find out otherwise um uh g- goodbye sir um
3: and and sister mina is just like she is like starstruck she just was like like completely shaky like you normally see her she's pretty well composed but she's like beside herself and she kind of like salutes awkwardly and she's like yes lord inquisitor we, we will do our very best
4: Oh yeah, I can tell. I picked the wrong one to mutter to, and he'll just lean over to um uh to Piper and be like, "Hey, um, you understand a lot of this this sort of space stuff? Uh, can he see us through that thing, or are we just waving at nothing right now?"
1: What?
6: Let me just ask you a question. Like, how would he be able to see you right now? Like, how far away is he? Like, super yeah. far away. But like, you wouldn't you need you'd need me? To like send an immediate like well like real super fast message right?
4: Right, right. So, so you're the, the answer there, there is no. Just okay. simple no. Great. So there's no there's no, no. weird astro.
0: No, awkwardly li- raises his hand at the okay. lectern. Okay, all right. That's oh great. wait, Thank is you, there Piper. a way? Oh shit. I'm sorry about the confusion. That that was a recording. Hi. Uh It it it's over. And uh, he just hits a button and the the face disappears. He's like, I did the face so that you wouldn't just think. it Otherwise, it's just audio and it feels. Okay, I'm sorry.
6: Uh, That's fantastic. I was about to think that I was like becoming obsolete or something.
4: Yeah, no, this is good. This is good all around. I was really worried that there was just you know <laughs> something none of us knew about going on with with the face. Uh, but it's it's uh, you know what, uh, Abacus, you you got our back, and I I, I appreciate that, and I, I appreciate you. Listen, man. Um, so, both the Inquisitor and your briefing uh, implied that we should be pretty up to date on uh, redacted. Um, Care to elaborate on that? Seems like a rather important detail that uh, is very conveniently missing from our collective experience around the table here.
0: Well, I do have higher clearance than most, so I guess I can tell you what I know. Uh, Don't tell the Inquisitor, because he's not here. Um, Especially (laughs) like like I
4: lean forward for a second and I'm like, but he's he's not here, right? He can't hear or see any... Again, just waving in front of the, the, the diode
0: on the table. Uh, no. Uh, and he's going to hit a button. I
6: look, up at, I look up at Warden and just say, this guy.
0: <laughs> Abacus hits a button and just a little door, dome closes over the, the hall. Shoulders drop time. an inch. Drop an inch. Yeah. Uh, sit back
4: in my chair. Take a deep breath. <laughs> and I'll just, like, nod knowingly to Seth uh, as though this was something we, we were both concerned about.
0: So we'd originally just thought that this was going to be, like, a homo novus thing. Uh, And it turns out that this may involve Pyle, it may not, we don't know. So Fabius Pyle is a heretical space marine from the era of the Great War Against the Emperor, who has, at one point he was in charge of the Emperor's Children Legion uh, of Heretics before they were defeated by Abaddon, and then he became a madman and his own apothecary determined to flood the galaxy with life that he himself created through a great deal of knowledge. Um, So on on the bright side, on the bright side, I've been doing a lot of research into this system while I was giving you what I could about Fabius Pyle. Uh, There are, uh, well, the current governor is is insane. It appears that he's basically collapsed. Uh, The tithes have still been being made, but the man is not present inside his head after a couple thousand years of leadership. Um, There are four candidates who can theoretically become governor uh, you'll need to narrow down your case probably from amongst those four. Normally you would think, ah, one of them will be genetically modified, so it'll be easy to go, that one looks like a space marine, it's them. Unfortunately, uh, the leadership cast of all of the RT system, because of their incredible wealth, tend to make a bit of a sport out of genetically modifying themselves. So they're all going to be beefy and strong and handsome in all the ways that you would normally expect would only come from someone trying to build a monster. There are three houses that exist that are the ones vying for control. There's House Vance, there is House Bane, and there is House Marcus. Each of them has chosen an heir to their own individual thrones known as a merit adoptee. They're gonna compete to try to essentially become the governor. The current governor is from the Cologne family, uh, and his son is theoretically eligible. But the Cologne family's wealth is basically collapsed. This is a polite way of handing on the baton. Also, his son appears to be crazier than he is. So worth tracking, I actually have a genetic sample from the time we named the governor because they have to sign in blood and the Inquisitor could get us that. Uh, The other three, I don't know. They've all had treatments done in the last five years or so. So could have been imposters, could be replaced. I legitimately don't know. Uh, that's that's the deal. We can get you in. There's a big celebration for this, some sort of ceremony or competition now that it, we're closing in on the alignment of planets and the naming of the new governor. How do you want to get in there? You have the files.
4: Yeah, I just want to highlight something there for for all of us, you know, as it's, it's, I think something we're all a little concerned about. You're saying that Someone who was alive during the heresy is involved in this. The heresy. Yes. And like, he just immediately hugs his bolt gun to his chest, like, like a teddy bear, uh, and just kind of nods and says, um, yeah. All right. Uh, I'm going to need to Abby. I'm going to need that, uh, that uh genetic print from you um it's uh something we're gonna want on file um and then i i think i'll, I'll probably kind of look to the group and say uh hey look uh you know we, we, we've all worked together a few times now i think we, we all got a pretty good sense of, of of how this goes down um you know i'm happy to to run the operations you know as uh, as i learned back in uh in the, the the jump avenue academy uh it's a lot of my training but all of you have pretty specific skills and uh, pretty specific backgrounds, So I'm, I'm curious to hear where, where you're coming out with all this. Uh, Cause it sounds like this one, uh, we're, <laughs> we're way above our pay grade here. So we got to make sure we are, we're all in agreement before we take any moves.
5: Right. Well, I could potentially put together some missives or orders uh, that could name us as perhaps auditors or something like that of this democratic process kind of get us in through the back door and a little bit more information on each candidate you know as auditors we would need to make sure that everyone is running a fair election that sort of thing um there would be a brief moment of uh, of the
4: the old kind of like easygoing uh nero and he goes a fair election. <laughs> they have those now?
0: Actually, it turns out they kind of don't. <laughs> <Because> the <laughs> Advocacy like, so they actually seem to have some sort of series of gladiatorial style competitions where each tries to outdo each other so that the winner gets the most acclaim and the governor will, will choose them. Oh. Uh,
5: so... Why does the Empire even want this planet?
0: Oh, if you re- turn back to the first page on your document, it's the incredibly valuable Prometheus. I know Abacus.
5: <laughs> and he's just mad because his plan isn't going to work.
0: <laughs> he's planet. just a child. I, I think, Seth, Abacus has definitely got a little bit of that grandfatherly vibe who kind of yeah. coaches clearly inquisitorial people <laughs> who are struggling with their early life. You could go in as someone who perhaps was needing to buy Promethea. Maybe you're representing one of the the crusades going on. Maybe you're another house trying to do whatever. You're the house person. So maybe you do something evil with the house. Maybe there's a religious concern. He points to the sister. It's like, I don't really have one for the astropath. (laughs) But we have a lot of facilities and you do. The emperor's, Hand is a a very large ship. And there are a certain number of facilities that have been created specifically to enable you to carry out the missions you want to carry out. There is an entire room full of essentially costumes and uniforms from a variety of cultures that have been fitted along with servitors that will specifically do sewings to kind of refit things to you. Uh, This is a very different experience. As we said, forging. Both Seth can do it and there's a facility to help with that. And you have inquisitorial codes where if you want to impersonate someone from somewhere, you can do that with pretty flawless authority in terms of paperwork. You can absolutely blow it in person because people are going to have context you might not, but you will usually be able to get something as long as it's from out of system that should pass muster no matter the level of inspection. I also want to flag, compared to season one of Valentine Heresy, where Valentine was really struggling because he had no kind of tools or things like that, because of the quality of paperwork and the things behind you, you can try things that he couldn't. If you show up in the right outfit and you have the right paperwork to say you're a shipping magnate from another system, the flunky at the door, you don't have to (laughs) convince. In fact, most people might believe that unless you do something out of character. It's only if you have to try to negotiate a trade deal or convince somebody (laughs) to trust you based on your supposed power that we're really gonna start rolling dice with some of the challenges behind that. Uh, You're also welcome to, with the documents in front of you and your various skills, if you want to use one of your skills and your set of knowledge, could be you're good at fighting, could be you're good at coercion, if you wanted to go look through at, oh, who could we intimidate to maybe get a handle on it? If you wanted to use some kind of lore, I'm really up for whatever, and we can roll some dice pools to see what information you can pull out of um, the research on the system. Okay. Okay.
3: Um, the sister will step forward and cross her arms and now she's like back to business and she'll, (laughs) I do not understand if this is quite a serious matter, why we cannot just take our entire band and go stab each one of them. Then we will have the entire problem covered.
5: Well, What you don't want to do is arouse the ire of three houses on that planet, Um, as Abacus pointed out. Very rich planet. Um, And there's the slight wrinkle of a... I believe he, like, checks his notes, as I'm about to. (laughs) Slight wrinkle of a homo novus in the mix. Or did you miss that part? Something... (laughs) Some sort of unholy offspring of bile himself. Oh, bile, the the one reason who-
3: that we should just get rid of them.
4: Yeah, look, I, I'm all for this stamping out of you know the roots of uh, uh, an ancient galactic evil that was solved, and this time he like does throw up air quotes, um, <laughs> and uh, just says, but. Um, Uh, You know, that's, I, I'm, I'm with Seth on this one. I'm, I mean, look, sister, when we find out who to stab, believe you, me, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'll, 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 I don't know, I'll hold your beer um, or your holy chalice, you know, whatever you sisters are into, but uh, we got to make sure that we are finding everything we can uh that's related to to bile and uh to horace because you know when when that all kicks up again we don't we don't want to be responsible for leaving the back door open you know and particularly with with piper here i mean who knows if there's an actual chaos presence here i mean i i don't want anyone just going in our head and you know messing around warden seems like a good guy you know we've had some good good times with him i i don't want to watch him murder a friend
6: no but you know? i'm 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 like so strong like i haven't i you know i've just had so much rest like i'm ready to take on like whatever's down there and i'm Hands i can back just to the hair.
0: <laughs>
6: <laughs> like well... i like you got to realize like i i can i can help i can like i can i can make things happen i can make make them think stuff i've done it before you've seen it put me in
5: yes we'll figure something out with that, we'll, we'll figure out a way to incorporate your big broadcasting brain, I promise. Look, Mina, if you're really keen to just kind of crack some skulls, why don't we, you know, engage in this gladiatorial combat directly, perhaps under the guise of uh, throwing your hat into the ring as a, a lesser known house I'm sure we could forge the documents to make it appear that you are whoever we want to say you are
0: abacus raises his hand again <laughs> yes Abacus sorry you're all the important people so I'm just supposed to provide information that's that's my purpose on this ship uh, it, it does say according to my history that each of the houses do choose uh, representative champions or bodies to assist them in the various competitions so you'd be there last minute, but you might be able to become said, I don't know, champions, coaches, whatever.
4: Well, I don't know, Abby. It seems to me like if we want to pull that off, we need someone with a pretty big broadcasting brain. And then it'll just like slowly look to Piper.
6: And I just like like my jaw drops, <laughs> like kind of like the smile, like eyes wide. I just look up, I look up to Warden, be like, I'm going on an adventure again.
0: And with that, we cut several hours later (laughs) to (laughs) the Inquisitorial Band inside uh, your gun cutter, which is your own personal ship. It can handle kind of travel between worlds, two worlds, but not actually warp jumps. It's disguised right now with a bit of a boxier frame, making it appear more traditional shuttle-y. There is a sleeker, much more dangerous version underneath, but it allows you to carry off this kind of con that you're ready to run collectively. Uh, you are all appearing as Prometheum merchants. You're looking to buy prom uh, for for either for a source or for multiple sources, kind of as a go-between, a business-to-business. They've got prom, you've got customers, you want to organize shipping. Uh, what is the name of your false combine Nero? Um, I think
4: uh, we're going to be the um, Clean Energy Collective. Because uh, if there's anything I know from uh, having family in Western Canada, it's when you want a big, dirty pipeline, you got to name it something eco friendly. Um, so I think, uh, the, I, I think the, I think the, and I mean, I'll, I'll defer to Seth on this since he's our, our skullduggery man, but I think the argument that Nero would be backing is like looking at the makeup of this system and their existing planets and the existing problems. Uh, if we we're kind of pitching like our clients have the same problem your system is about to have, but they've had it for a while. So they're these are like prom horny planets and we are uh, like nakedly capitalist. Like we are just here to profit off their need and your, your output. So really trying to like position us in a way that is familiar enough to these folks that they won't raise too many eyebrows, um, but also align kind of our, our group, our coalition with their way of thinking and like, Oh yes, we should strip mine every planet. And once they're strip mined, we can sell them the thing. They already sold other people. It's going to be great. We're, we're, we're going to have a good time. Uh, Seth, is there anything you'd want to add, um, or tweak in that? Cause also um, keep in mind, this is like what the rich boy from the private school thinks is what, one of these capitalist ventures would be. He would never run one of these. He would just invest in it and make his money <laughs> that
5: way. Um, yeah. Uh, Ryan, let me know if I need to roll for this or not or if you just want to if you just want to kind of chat it out here. Um would would a business venture that like accelerates the process of selling off all of this uh Promethium um would that be alluring to people that are like currently in power so that basically when the, when the planet dries up they're the ones on top, kind of like you're on top now if we move up the schedule this place becoming obsolete, you leave with, like, the best stuff.
0: Yeah, I think right now they're just looking to make as much money as possible. It's so clear that from their house competitions, there's no thought of long-term. This is okay. all just who mm-hmm. can be king of the castle tomorrow.
5: <clears throat> then I don't know if it needs any additional adjusting. I think it's a, a clean proposition of we're here to buy Prometheum. Uh, we're brokers for incredibly desperate systems. Uh What we do is bring you thrones from across the empire that your market can't reach. Mm
0: -hmm. Nice. Um, Seth, can you roll me a... Let's do a cunning and deception. Difficulty two. Cunning
5: and deception. I think cunning is... Yeah, cunning is really good. Okay. Uh, Mm -hmm. I have... uh, Oh, I think I have some potentially changey stuff. Hang on. Sorry, folks. (laughs) New character rolling for the first time. (laughs) Whoa, whoa, whoa. We've been on several missions together, Tyler. Uh... (laughs) Oh, actually, this is something that we uh, discussed during the character building process, Ryan. Um, I have a... uh, a, I guess an ability or a quality a talent, I guess, called etiquette, but it's a double-edged sword. I had a boost when I'm dealing with low-class society and a setback with high-born society.
0: Um, I would say add the boost on this one, because I think this is trying to trust people's guts, not their high-minded politics. And from what you've heard, this sounds like a pretty brutal, like, knife-in-the-dark world, not so much the upstanding imperial citizens you might all hope for.
5: (laughs) Uh, And I'm going to ask you, this might not be the case, but I have like a disguise kit and also we have this repertoire of like uniforms and stuff like that. Uh, The disguise kit mechanically adds two boosts for deception checks made to impersonate someone else. So if I'm impersonating a merchants like Major Domo trying to help broker a deal, would that apply here?
0: Um, not to this, because this is just your ability to catch some small details that might pop up, but it okay. would apply. I will allow that to apply if you we guys you are going to with portray people? these merchants. Yeah. Okay. It'll apply to those checks.
5: Okay, then I've got a pool ready to go.
0: Great, let's go for it. Um,
5: I'm rolling, but do we want to talk about story points?
0: Oh, story points? So I'm really? going to start off with uh, you guys having all five, because I feel like you're coming in clean. It's the beginning of a mission. The advantage is yours, because nobody knows you're here.
4: Okay, it's Good, we're only learning about this now because I would have blown all five on trying to determine whether or not the Inquisitor could see us through the hologram. Yeah, whether it was mm. a phone call or, or a <laughs> That is message. the biggest
0: question.
5: Yeah. <laughs> uh, total is one success, one threat.
0: All right. You realize having an astropath with you as a companion in your group might be a bit strange. However... What's the threat? I mean, the threat, I think, is ultimately the fact that you have an astropath in your group. <laughs> you can try to pretend that she is just, like, a blind woman because she clearly is physically blind, though she's got some better sight on her. But you also know Warden's going to be following her around. So figuring out who the who the group leader is and how you explain the blind woman with the bodyguard is probably your biggest problem on selling this story before you get to the planet's surface okay
5: uh oh sorry Tyler. you have follow-up to that yeah i was just i was just going in going into the scene of like piper no you know, <laughs> just, i was just going in for that kind of thing yeah um hey warden i think she's got a demon in her <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay do it up tom
4: cool i was gonna say I, would you tell us all that or would you keep yeah that under yeah your
5: i i i think uh Seth kind of likes to show off a little bit when it comes to this sort of thing. So yeah, he's happy to share this kind of facade, this charade that we're all jointly kind of putting together. And then he would sum it up by saying, and an astropath would stick out like a chaos marine. So Piper, you're going to have to keep it in your pants, so to speak.
6: Well, that's fine. I mean, just, like, take a marker and, like, draw, like, eyes on me, and we'll be fine. No one will know.
5: Right. So, what's the story, then, for Piper? What's Piper's cover? Hmm. Uh, Ryan, correct me if I'm wrong. Astropaths are pretty vital to
4: inter-system travel, right? Yes. So, conceivably,
0: would rogue traders have astropaths? Uh, Rogue trader might have one, but why you would bring her to the surface to escort you around is more the question mark I think than anything else. I see. Okay. Because uh, people are distrustful of psychers generally in these kind. Yeah, of yeah, yeah. That's
4: why yeah. I was wondering if it's like space truckers just happen to have like the galaxy's most dangerous weapons, like hanging out, being like, "Turn left at the horse, slash." <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, okay. Well, no, I'm gonna hang no, a left. It,
0: uh, <laughs> Rogue traders would probably have an astropath and a navigator on. Right. Fruit. Okay. Um, right. Like you guys have a navigator on your ship, just you're not bringing her down here because they're so valuable. You wouldn't want to risk them getting like knifed or a deal going wrong. Right. Right. Okay. Um, could we perhaps
4: position, uh, well, I can just do this as character into meta this. Um, yeah. So, Listen, I think we, we've got a, a pretty good thing going, but, uh, Seth, you know, I, I think, I think you're right in it, uh, Piper. I love, I love the idea. You know, I love the, the eyes thing. Um, gotta tell you though, I don't think the eyes are the problem so much as just the, uh, general, uh, vibe of, uh, you know, uh, ethereal knowledge from beyond the veil and such that, uh, you're pretty good about sharing.
6: Well, I'll just keep my mouth shut the whole time. Like,
4: yeah, look, we've tried that one before. Um, Dampen,
6: damp, and everything.
4: Look, if I didn't, if if you know, if it's sister not so hadn't much been about... able to intimidate the dean, uh, back when we were at Jump Avenue, you you kind of almost blew it a couple times. Uh, but luckily, he was scared of swords. So, and I mean, really, who who wouldn't be? Um, but hey, what if uh, what if we work for someone kind of like we actually do? You know, that means you don't have to lie. We can kind of tell the truth because we we work for Billingberg, right? What if there's someone far away that we we need to be able to reach at a moment's notice to broker an important deal? You know, like if we're like buy, sell, buy, sell like into into your face, uh, is that is that the kind right. of thing? Right, I'm can just like a sim-
6: I'm like a symbol of how like important it is and like how yeah. essential it is that like we do this right and like we're really serious um, and we like we represent people who are like very important and yeah. they need to know the information. Uh, as soon as we know it but they're so important that they can't leave where uh, they are and so i'm market. just like here to be like hey like i will just like say oh or oh, you got like oh do you do what should we i don't know do we need to like bid up i don't actually know how this works but like and then yeah, i send the me message either. and we get it back and then it's like it's more efficient for me yeah. to go down there
4: we we can start selling them the idea that the prom market in the greater galaxy is as volatile as the substance itself you know uh I think I think this, and you know, if they give us too many strange looks, uh, the sister can yell something about blasphemy and scare them.
3: She's watching all of this like very unhappy. The subterfuge thing is like her least favorite part. She's yeah. basically disgusted by all of you.
5: <laughs> the subterfuge thing, I feel like this. Con- every time this conversation happens, the subterfuge thing usually, like, there comes a point where Seth. Like focuses his weird black orbs on you, uh, and and <laughs> basically says, and he says it every time, like, "Mina, can we dial down the regalia for the cover?" She's just like,
3: "You, you know exactly how I feel about that. If you, if you have to have it, uh, I'll just." I'll put the cloak on again. I can do it again if that's what I
4: have to do. And I'll just stand over Seth's shoulder, twiddling the uh, inquisitorial rosette uh, in my fingers like a pen. And I think this has become our bit. (laughs) It's just anytime Seth needs just like a little extra weight, I'll just stand nearby and twiddle the symbol very obviously, uh, in a very nonchalant, like, I'm not paying attention to this way, but (laughs) clearly paying attention. Of course,
3: of course. The the mission is the most vital part of what we do, and if I must do things for the mission, then truly I am doing them in the Emperor's name. And <sighs> I have to I have to go pray. Oh,
0: right. are you doing that bit with the cloak? Just a second. <laughs> uh, you hear from the the front of this ship because it think of it like the Quinjet. There's clearly yeah. seats in your own little room, but there is a pilot. Uh, and your pilot just jumps out of her chair. Uh, She is a Rattling, which is an accepted species of Abhuman in the Imperium. She's about three and a half, four feet tall. They're known for being uh, snipers in the Imperial Guard or very good with tech. Uh, Your Rattling's name is Sarah Pincho. She is the pilot that has been assigned to the Angel of Retribution, who does all of your flights to get you in and out of atmosphere. And she's like, don't worry, the midwife will get you what you need. Uh, And she just like runs across. She calls herself the midwife you've all asked and then regretted asking earlier because she always just slaps the nearest wall of the ship and just says, cause I always bring this baby home. (laughs) That's (laughs) why she has named herself the midwife.
4: (laughs) Um, As she runs, I'll say, sorry, why? I know you've gone over this before. Why do you call yourself
3: the midwife? And I'll just like turn and just
0: small
4: smile at Mina.
0: Because uh, and she does the whole Hulk Hogan spinning arm thing. And <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm doing it
4: too. I'm I'm aside. Jordan. Yep.
0: Because <laughs> I always bring this baby home. Uh, and she <laughs> runs over to a Foot Locker and she's like, "I had this made for you after the last one where they made you wear that cloak you hate." Uh, and it turns out she has a, a beautiful blue cloak that looks totally like boring from the outside. It's classy and clearly noble with a little bit of gold trim. Uh, and she runs it over to you, uh, sister. And she she holds it up to you and gives you a big wink from where it is because no one else can see inside. And if you look inside the cloak, it is lined with the fleur de lis of the sister of battle inside the sleeves and the coat part of it. So it's very holy on the inside, but boring on the outside.
3: <laughs> it, her her expression just changes on a dime. That like goes from like su- surly to like her normal, and then she's like, "Thank you." Thank you. Emperor bless you. And she puts it on. She's like, fine. And, right uh, back
0: at you, baby. Uh, and <laughs> she'll, she'll lean into your ear and just say, also, it's two-sided. So when you don't have to hide anymore, you can show off the good stuff. No,
3: oh, you've grown on me so much. I think you will do good work in the future. And
0: your you'll just Your soul the-
3: will not be damned.
0: You hear the panicked beeping of the altitude sensor in the front of the cockpit, and she goes, Ah, shit! And she just runs back and jumps in the seat Hmm. and pulls up as you've gone through the atmosphere. She says, Well, look out! If you want to see the city, you can look out the window! she's just fighting the controls. I'll just uh, turn to
4: Seth and be like, Huh, she really loves her coat of single color, huh?
5: Yes. (laughs) Just...
4: I'll slap
0: you on the back (laughs) and
5: make my way to the window. Jostles me like my skeleton rattles inside my skin. (laughs) Like,
0: ow. (laughs) So looking at, you see Dominion Omnium, the proto-hive. It is a circular city. It is designed to, it's it's almost a, a spoked wheel. Uh, Nero, you're very happy to see that it has seven spokes instead of eight. Clearly, someone was involved in this design to make sure it didn't accidentally create any blasphemous numbers. Uh, And there are three rings of kind of uh, the the furthest out is the thickest. Uh, Then there is another ring walled in that's closer to the center that's smaller. And then there is a central spire uh, with a citadel right at the center of it. The spaceport is to the west as you come down. Uh, You can see that it attaches through a a large kind of driveway. It's outside the city proper, a huge setup, but you are clearly getting to park the closest kind of. There's a spaceport for a number of smaller ships to be able to set up. And then there are bulk haulers and other things that can land further out in more supported areas. Uh, As you land, your ship kind of comes down. Uh, Logically, you can look at this place. And according to general hive rules, the center is going to be the most important. It's the highest point. You can even see as you've come down that the buildings, a hive is traditionally built in the, the 40K sense, of buildings on top of buildings on top of buildings over generations to allow a ton of people to live in a relatively small amount of real estate, often due to a hostile environment. The world here is quite beautiful. They've clearly been working very hard to terraform it. You can still see massive steel towers throughout the distance, probably creating some kind of magnetic shield to protect the environment because you're closer to the sun than a traditional Mm -hmm. class of planet that would allow this kind of atmosphere. Uh, The sheer amount of smog and stuff you could see coming out of parts of this city are clearly going to ruin that. But the fascinating thing about the structure is everything you're seeing is really only four or five stories tall. However, they're all flat-topped and they're all attached by sloping kind of walkways and gantries between them. None of you have probably seen this before, though you've all seen Hive Worlds. They're clearly building the ground floor with the intention of building a second floor on top of it right away. This is like... The structure here are the, the underlay for the rest of the hive to come. And there's still a lot of ships and other things flying in doing low-level kind of construction jobs. Instead of seeing the traditional cranes you would expect, there seem to be shuttles kind of coming in and flying and dropping entire hab blocks at the very limits of this space. Mm-hmm. Uh, your ship lands uh, you hear all the hissing and other things. The, the weird thing is the landing is incredibly gentle. Sarah Pinchot does seem like she must be an idiot. However, she is an incredibly good pilot who has always brought the ship home. Right. Uh, the side door hisses open. Uh, you have your d- paperwork in hand uh, and you all tromp down off the ship into a new world being built on nothing with the possibilities of chaos, bile, and homo novus along with gladiatorial combat ahead of you. It's time to risk your lives as people you aren't in the name of the Inquisition. The Valentine Heresy season two has begun.
2: This episode of The Valentine Heresy features Tom McGee at McGeeTD on Twitter as Interrogator Nero Abignale, Laura Hamstra at EL Hamstring on Twitter as Piper Fairley, Tyler Hewitt at Tyler underscore Hewitt on Twitter as Seth Corbin, Del Borvik at Del Tastic on Twitter as Sister Oli Mina, and our game master Ryan Laplante at The Ryan Laplante on Twitter.
0: Dum Dums and Dice has to give a special thank you to the supreme beings of our Patreon at this time. Christian Manicola, The Half-Blind Prophet, Christopher Little, Sue One, George Dolby, One True Artistry, Orion Birchfield, Lorda Bradovic, Noel Lewis, Scott Garland, Anthony Griffin, Jordan Neesmith, Benjamin V, Gavin and Abby McDonald, Cade Peters, Richard Cranium, Anna Zed, Eric Williams, Logan, Fire Unfriendly, Friendly, Cameron Ezell, Grandma Likes D&D, Austin Nut Powers Fry, and Jill and Noel Laplante. If you want your name to be added to this list, you can join our Patreon too at patreon.com slash dumb dice. Thanks to them, and a little bit of thanks to you.
1: The Fable and Folly Network. Where Fiction Producers Flourish. Whoa. Check out this place. You'd love to retire here? What is this?
6: Oh, God. What have you done?
1: Spaceships. Season 2. Out now on podcast platforms across the galaxy.